What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of VGM Generations. I'm Mike Posbon, and with me this time is Norm Gerrard. Hello. And Aaron Blauchuk. There we go. A little pirate there for you. Uh, For those that don't know, VGM stands for Video Game Music, and we are taking you through the generations. Basically, once a week, three friends with varied gaming backgrounds get together and take you through some of their favorite music from the games that they love. And then in this month's episode, we are talking about Sega. It's all things Sega month. So Sega develop, Sega... Sega consoles, like appeared on a Sega console, basically. <laughs> At that moment, I would have liked to have done the uh, Sega Genesis, you know, the Sega, Sega. but no, I can't do a good impression. Norm, Wait, you got what? an impression of the uh, Sega voice? Uh, not <laughs> no to put better you on the than spot. you guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe at the end, we'll like harmonize the Sega and yeah. we'll try and do it all together. Um, but yeah, everybody knows the Segas. But yeah, so it's Sega month and uh, I'm up first. So I am talking about uh, the definitive version, in my opinion of NBA Jam that came out on the Sega Genesis. So uh, did you guys play NBA Jam? Kind of. Did you play it on Genesis? Bits and pieces? No, I played the arcade version. Oh, I I would have thought people would say the arcade version was the definitive version of NBA Jam. Oh, the definitive home console version. Okay, yeah, Yeah. you you gotta gotta narrow that down. Narrow it down, sorry, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I played NBA Hang Time, which is, it's almost like a sequel to Jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I played a, a PC knockoff that used voice clips from Jam. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. So anyway, NBA Jam uh, um, was developed by Midway Acclaim EA and for the console, Iguana is also in there, who are the guys that ported it over from the uh, from the arcade unit. Uh, came out in 1993 and the music was by the easiest pronouncer name or conduct, mm-hmm. uh, conductor, composer. <laughs> composer name. Thank you. I'll ever have to pronounce John Hay. Oh, well. <laughs> so easy. Yeah, I got all Japanese this time, yeah. so it's, yeah, it's going to yeah, be yeah. tough. It's going to get rough for yeah. you. But uh, so, yeah, uh, I am talking about the Sega Genesis version, but uh, all the fun facts I found were actually for the arcade unit, so I'm going to talk about those. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, basically, this game was like a massive hit when it came out. It was a really giant sensation for them, much larger than they and, and originally anticipated. Well, like a lot of people, I love sports games that are not serious sports games. Yeah. They're, they're fun if they're like nonsense sports. And it's funny, like reading about the development is there was kind of a, there was a bit of tension at the studio of people who wanted to make it silly and like the whole ball on fire and the crazy dunks from half court and all that stuff. And then uh, some of the devs were like, want, who were big basketball fans and we're like no it should be more a straight ahead basketball game it should be more true to the sport and blah 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 which blah, is blah. good they didn't do that because i played their straight ahead basketball game on the sega genesis and i know i've talked about david robinson supreme court <laughs> and how absolutely awful that is so yeah. thank you nba jam yeah exactly so uh yeah so in my opinion as well they definitely went the right way and that's why it was such the sensation that it was was that it was silly and accessible right so um, so they developed it. It took them a few years to get it right. And th- it was this whole thing of, they had seen, um, you know, like the taking pictures of real people and putting them in the game. And the, it, everyone who's played NBA jam knows what I'm talking about. Um, so the first time that they released it, uh, released a test unit, a test arcade unit, they put it in this arcade in Dallas. That was a very popular arcade and they threw it in there and they were like, Anything over a thousand dollars a week was considered like a really good profit 
and they made uh, $2,200 in the first week that they had the test unit out. So they're like, oh, wow, this is a hit. <laughs> that um, reminds me of the stories of like when they were putting Pac-Man into bars and stuff in the early days and like the machines were malfunctioning. And they couldn't figure out why. It's because they were so stuffed with quarters yeah. that they couldn't accept anymore. That's funny because that's exactly what happened yeah. with this as well. The uh, the like the um, I don't know who it was who did that, but who went around and collected the quarters, um, the techs, I guess. Uh, were complaining and saying that they had to put bigger uh, coin boxes on them because the people kept thinking the games were broken and it was just the coin boxes were full. Um, Speaking too of the bar thing, actually to go on a little tangent of something I read, I guess that the NBA was really um, hesitant to grant them the license to the lookalikes of the players and stuff like that, specifically because arcades in 1993, arcade units were kind of seen as things that appeared in more seedy places. And they didn't want to tarnish like the NBA brand <laughs> by putting the likeness of the players in a game and having NBA yeah, that's in a the stretch. game. The in NBA the is seedy because I saw a game in a bar. Well, no, 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 not the NBA is seedy. That arcades, yeah. arcade units, yeah, or, but they or were worried about like it tarnishing their brand in some way. Yes, exactly. Which, you know, but like I guess that's a, that's a the story was that like the the person who was in charge of licensing for the NBA on his drive to work drove by like a, like kind of a CD bar and then like a like a topless bar and both of those had arcade units in it so that's why he thought <laughs> <laughs> that they were that they were bad or whatever so i guess they had it was like at the 11th hour they finally allowed them to use the likenesses which was like make or break for the game yeah. right and in an awesome twist that topless bar eventually got an nba jam <laughs> maybe um but uh i, d- I didn't read that part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah exactly you took my point the game was so popular the coin boxes were full um the what some of the other fun facts was the uh, devs all put themselves into the game um, with like special codes. So if you wrote their initials and a number, they were all in the game and they all had like impossibly good stats. Like they were all the best players in the game, which I thought was really funny. Um, and uh, the other big part of NBA Jam, anyone who's played it knows that the biggest, the coolest, best part of uh, NBA Jam is the announcer. You got all those like super big catchphrases. And I guess what he used to do was like when the game got really popular, he would go to arcades and he would like walk up behind people who were playing it and then like do one of the lines and then just walk away <laughs> and just watch their reaction. That was his, his favorite thing to do. Um, yeah. So what a weird hobby. What a weird hobby. But yeah, I've got some more uh, fun facts here, but uh, let's listen. Oh, so the one thing I got to say. So what the track we're listening to is the background music number one. BGM one is all it's called. And the reason I picked this and the reason I picked this for Sega week is because for me personally, I really love this game. I played it a lot growing up and it was always on Genesis. And a little while ago I was like, Hey, uh, I had, I downloaded like a new emulator and I was like, I'm going to test it with something. And I tested it with this SNES version of NBA jam. And I put it in started it up all good and started playing the game. No background music during the game. And I'm like, what the heck is the emulator broken? And I go and look it up. Nope. That's the one big difference between the SNES and the Genesis version of this game is for some reason, the SNES has no background music during they, the they game had to choose the music or the announcer. And you're not going to choose the music over the announcer. No, they, the, the announcers in both. Yeah. Like everything's in both except 
for some reason, the SNES yeah. cut the music. Well, they probably had to choose. They maybe the like soundtrack didn't have couldn't handle space both or at the same time, so they had to choose: do we want the announcements or do we, do we want, want the, the music? music? Yeah, and of course, you're going to choose the announcer. Exactly. So, yeah. so you have like the sneaker sounds and the ball sounds and the announcer sounds, but no music. So, <laughs> is there anything worse than a basketball game where you just hear the sneaker sounds? It's so yeah, it's so <laughs> weird. It's dead silent. It's that terrible. Squeaking noise. So like that's why we're yeah, listening yeah. to the background music and. Um, uh, I'm going to pepper in some of the, uh, I found actually the original samples, like not the ones that were put through the Genesis processing, but the original samples of the voice. So I'm going to pepper those in, uh, to the song as well. So you'll hear some of those and boom shakalaka from the <laughs> original. So have a listen to background music from NBA jam on the Sega Genesis. Rejected! samples i was talking about the pc game we had like some knockoff downloaded from a bbs pc game that basically stole the voice samples from nba jam and threw them in it was a terrible game but those <laughs> voice samples are great no matter what they're in exactly yeah they're the best uh so yes yeah, some more fun facts about nba jam um so Shaq was in the arcade version of nba jam uh and uh, apparently was a huge fan of the game um, he said that, uh, he said in an interview that he actually had a couple of machines at his house and they would have tournaments. And, uh, when he was on road trips, he would call someone he knew 
um, from the arcade industry and have them put the arcade unit in his hotel room uh, <laughs> just for like the weekend or whatever. He would rent it for like three nights and he's like, I had so much money, I didn't care at yeah. the time. <laughs> living large. Yeah, yeah, he was living large. But um, all this led to Shaq Fu, so. Actually, let me get back to that. Don't don't, don't <laughs> jump ahead. Don't jump I'm ahead. I'm not trying to jump ahead. I don't know what you've got having your notes. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so the one other uh, fun fact was... Um, the creator of NBA Jam, uh, or the kind of lead developer, Mark Turmel, was a huge Detroit Pistons fan. And in 93 was when the Chicago Bulls were like on their tear with Michael Jordan and were just killing. Uh, and they consistently beat, beat the Pistons in the finals. And so he actually programmed it so that if the, if the Bulls were going to win the game uh, and it was like a last second shot, that the Bulls would always miss. They would never be able to make the shot and their shot percentage would go down uh, like in the last like minute of the game. <laughs> like they got worse and worse and worse mm. and worse. <laughs> so he just did it because yeah. he didn't like the Bulls. Well, that's, um, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Pretty funny. Um, so the other thing is uh, Michael Jordan never appeared in the game because he actually owned his own likeness uh, and Shaq didn't appear in the um ported version he appeared in the arcade but by the time the port came out he had gained the rights to his own who his likeness and that actually ultimately led to the two games michael jordan in the windy city and shaq fu yeah. <laughs> which i thought was funny so which game there were other celebrities in the game yes were and they're not most of them were through cheat codes so the most famous one is um oh i just lost the name the president uh yeah bill clinton bill right? clinton yeah, yeah. like does NBA own his license? <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess he just like Bill Clinton does not own his own likeness. Yeah. I guess they allowed him to like, or he allowed them to put his likeness uh -huh. in the game because they were actually saying that in order to put the likeness in because of the way they did it, they had to get a bunch of headshots from like nine Multiple different angles, angles or yeah. something. So he must have supplied them with mm. that, with those. I don't know. They got to have like a million shots. The president. He's the president. Yeah, There's that's a billion true. shots of him in the But press, I don't right? think he, they could have just done that and he would have been like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't know. Like, they're like public image. He's a civil servant. There All might of be, these are yeah. public. There might be some sort of clause that says in the like, constitution yeah. that says the people own <laughs> yeah, the, the license of the president. To be the used likeness. in any video game. It was a specific amendment that was yeah. actually in the constitution. Yeah. Added in 1993 yeah. for NBA Jam. I'm pretty sure that's the case, actually. Yeah, well, maybe. Um, actually, I did read, though, that... Um, so, the game got really, really popular, and there were a couple um, of other, like, sports people that wanted to be in the game, and they were like, you know, add me in, put me in as, like, a cheat code or something like that. They, like, went to the devs, and they were like, it's too late. But the one lead dev, uh, Mark Termal, uh, actually, it was, it was a really famous... Uh, baseball player. I can't remember the name now, but he sent in, he was like, oh, you know, we need all your headshots and stuff like that. So he went out and got all the headshots <laughs> and sent them to him and he made him a custom version of the game and sent and gave him like, and put it on a cabinet for him. And the guy bought the cabinet. Some so MLB guy. Who, do you know? I can't remember who it was at the time. I don't know. Name of famous. Daryl Strawberry. Guys. No, <laughs> no, it wasn't that. <laughs> I think you just made that name up. Um, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so I, like, I can name all of the uh, famous baseball players from that one episode Simpsons. of The Simpsons. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the last, the last uh, fun fact I found was that I wanted, that I thought was awesome, was there was um, talk of putting uh, cameras on the cabinet so that people could put their own likeness in the game. I heard that. Yeah. And uh, and but the effort was 
just too big. They were like, it's probably not worth it. You know, the game will still do fine. We don't need it. But the other thing was that they they said <laughs> there was the TPP factor, which stands for time to penis, yeah. <laughs> which is how long it is before somebody puts their penis in the video. So uh, like the second they do it. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So they were like, that's why we didn't do it was that we knew that was going to happen. So yeah, that's all the fun facts I have on NBA Jam. That's a lot more foresight than most social media campaigns have <laughs> yeah. these days. That is very true. That is very true. Uh, but uh, yeah, they they thought of it back then and said, we're not doing it. So, but yeah, I love NBA Jam. Um, if you want to play NBA Jam, there's about a million ways to play it. Um, like you said, you played, which one you played NBA? Hang time. Hang time. So what happened after there was NBA Jam, and then it was super successful. They did a sequel called NBA Jam Tournament Edition, which did well, not as well, but still very well. And it had uh, an updated roster, more more players and stuff like that. Um, a little different music. Um, then what happened was Midway actually lost the license and Acclaim retained the NBA Jam name. And so that's why Midway went off and made NBA Hang Time. Mm-hmm. Acclaim continued to make NBA Jam, but it was like, a shell of its former Never self and like failed miserably. Mm. Um, it went away for a few years. Uh, a claim went under and then EA got the license uh, for NBA jam. And just in, I think it was 2010 or 2011. I remember they that. came out with like this new NBA jam and I read a review on it and they were saying that like um, it could have been great if they had just made it like a simple downloadable title and they had just kept it to the original game, which was like just the two on two very straightforward game. But the problem was they tried to add in all these extra modes yeah. and all these extra players and they, and they went off the politician thing. They added in a bunch of politicians were in it. Um, uh, yeah. like as a feature gimmick creep. and stuff, they killed it with feature creep. Yeah. And it became a $50 game. Mm. And so it didn't, it kind of floundered. So, but it looks good. It looks like they, it was a pretty faithful, like of, they said like, if, if what you're in to it for is the two on two look, and you're willing to look past the price, it's actually still pretty good. I'm, so. I'm never one to recommend DLC or paid, paid play content, uh, but you know I could totally see NBA Jam as a downloadable title, and then all of the extra roster characters are like you pay for them. You that want, would probably you want work. Bill Clinton in there, then you got to pay. Yeah, that would probably you know, work Donald very well. Trump on your team, you don't, but you know, <laughs> pay extra. But pay extra. But yeah, so uh, yeah, so if you if. If you haven't, if after listening to this, you're like, hey, I want to see what this whole NBA Jam thing is about. And then um, the classics are, uh, if you have a, oh, is the Wii eShop dead now? Or is it still up? No, the, I'm pretty sure the Wii eShop is, is gone. It's gone? I'm okay, sure, so yeah. you could have got it on the Wii eShop. Now it's probably, and then Switch doesn't have one yet. If you have a Wii U, their eShop is still open for yeah. right now. Uh, and I think you should be able to get it through like the... Oh, no, you couldn't. I was going to say you could get it through the Wii emulation, but it's still but that dead. That shop is, is mm. gone, yeah. I don't know. It's out there. You can find <laughs> it. <laughs> I think they might have done a mobile there version. Ways. It's been ported a lot. So, But if you really want the good version, you've got to get your hands on a Genesis. And get uh, your hands on a Genesis, get your hands on the cart, and yeah. go to it. All right, that's all I have for uh, NBA Jam. What do you have for us this week, Norm? I'm going to be talking about The House of the Dead 2. Uh, also. Also <laughs> developed and published by Sega. 19- Is that the typing teaching game? No, but I did play <laughs> Typing of the Dead in a Japanese arcade, which was awesome. <laughs> sorry, I totally sorry, 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 you're jumping ahead. <laughs> sorry, no, no, it's fine. Uh, so yeah, uh, 1998, I believe, um, came out for arcade and Dreamcast. Uh, yeah, House of the Dead One came out for Saturn. 
but my exposure was in the arcade. Um, one of the first, so the university here in our city used to have an arcade. I don't even know if it still has an arcade. They closed it a long yeah, time ago. But what a shame. That's kind of where I came in from a, um, I guess that's 20 years ago, 1998. So yeah, 20 years ago I came here, didn't know anyone, lived on campus, like video games, where do I hang out? The arcade, of course. So that's where I made a couple friends and uh, the two games we played were Marvel vs. Capcom and House of the Dead 2. So uh, it, it's an on-rails light gun shooter. I think a lot of people know the House of the Dead brand. You see it in movie theater arcades and... All I can think of is the guy, the character G. His name's G. Yeah, there's all, there's some G guy. Yeah. Like, oh man, okay. He's, he's supposed to be like a G man, but they just, his name is just G. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. And the voice acting is just awesome. Yeah, it's just awesome <laughs> in this it's, game. It's oh, consistently. It's, I think it's just one of those lost in translation things, right? Oh, like totally. It's Japanese it, converted <laughs> to English poorly. Yeah. I'll open the water gate for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> anyway, have you. I've played some House of the Dead, yeah, yeah. in arcades, in in movie theaters a lot. It's yeah. it's ubiquitous, right? It's it's all over the place. Yeah, yeah it's one of the most famous light gun games yeah, ever. If you've yeah. walked into an arcade yeah. at any point, you've probably seen a House of the Dead, yeah, uh, a cabinet somewhere. Yeah, the the red and the blue plastic guns, and yeah. you shoot yeah, outside yeah. of the screen. That's one where you can. I was always more of a time crisis guy myself, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I said, this was one of the one of my staples, and uh, I started. I think it's the only arcade game that I've ever been able to get through with one quarter. I wasn't oh, wow. able to do the dual wielding, but I have, <laughs> yeah. a, I have a friend who could do it on, well, two quarters, I guess, dual wielding the pistols. And yeah. beat the whole game? He beat, he could beat the whole game. Wow, that's yeah, amazing. Which was crazy to watch him. And it, I don't know if there's like the various play styles you can use the light gun. Like when you get real hard, you like, you hold the... You hold the barrel and then use your finger kind of yeah. to like flick it really fast. <laughs> the rapid fire, the rapid fire techniques. Anyway, yeah. yeah, every pistol is a machine gun. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, that's kind of beside the point. But yeah, it was a it was a well designed game. It played really well uh, as long as the light gun was configured properly for the arcade machine. The music was really good, which I'll get to in a in a sec. Um, well, the zombies are really iconic too. I mean, uh, people might remember uh, I, just because the Wreck It Ralph two trailer came out not yeah. that long ago. Yeah, but yeah, in, yeah. there's a scene in Wreck It Ralph where there's a zombie in like a therapy session, and he's got two hatchets. Yeah, they like, two hatchets, yeah. no shirt, and yeah. jeans. Yeah, and it's yeah. totally so the uh, House of the Dead zombies. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I just I never realized that until you just yeah. said it. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, and the bosses were really creative. Uh, they were all kind of based on tarot cards I think like I remember the first boss of House of the Dead 2 was this hulking I think it was headless titan mm -hmm. and, and there, there was, was this little, little demon that yeah. flew around in the background and the trick was you actually had to shoot the demon when he became visible this little imp guy and because the other guy the main target was impervious but yeah. speaking know. of the tarot card thing I always liked when it actually like it highlights the boss before you fight him it like goes to this like art screen exactly. and like shows yeah. the weak point kind of thing that was really yeah that was really cool so, yeah, and on to the music. Um, I really like the music on this game. It's kind of like, so you're a team of de detectives um, wielding just these, like, hand pistols, but can apparently fire incredibly rapidly. But, uh, <laughs> and uh, the music's kind of a mix between, it's got kind of a detective mood, but it's more upbeat, and then they add more Castlevania-style, really fast organs. It, it's, it, it works, and it's very... Uh, 
unique to the series. But um, and the boss music was a bit different. It was almost more Mega Man like. And that's uh, I have a boss theme here from uh, my favorite boss in this game, and I think he's this boss is uh, in many of the House of the Dead games. Uh, the boss is the magician, based on uh, kind of like yeah, there's that tarot card kind of style of all the bosses. Um, the composer was Tetsuya Kawachi and uh, Hariyoshi Tomita. Uh, so let's listen to the boss theme for The Magician, House of the Dead 2. headless boss like a billion times and that was where my game over screen usually was i never played the game often enough to get any better so yeah yeah Yeah, like the um yeah i remember it was like right before he's about to attack you the imp's like mind controlling him so if you shoot the imp the imp loses his concentration and he doesn't hit you yeah yeah i I think i so many times because it was also a game too that uh like it basically paused when you died and it was like do you want to continue and i had a little countdown oh yeah so i remember just seeing like that boss essentially like frozen in place as it was counting down for my game to be over yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. and uh i actually tried playing this last year 
I was in Europe and they had a House of the Dead 2 machine. I was like, oh yeah, House of the Dead 2. I can finish this with one quarter. I didn't get very far. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, t- That's a muscle that needs to yeah. be exercised. <laughs> to my credit, the uh, light gun was vastly off. So I was aiming yeah. like out the window while trying to. But, yeah. 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 Now I have beat this game. And I, I mentioned like at the uh, the local Calgary Pincade show when that was a thing is they had a House of the Dead on free play and me and my brother Played it all the way through. With a million lives. Yeah, a million lives. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. Die, die a million times. But so this one I actually have seen the ending of. I really liked how it did the bosses. Kind of, it would, they designed the bosses around uh, making them creative to fight in a light gun game. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like, neat. there's actually some strategy other than just shoot. Yeah. 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 And they, I think they designed the strategy to beat it and then designed the monster, which is, it's kind of, it's an in- interesting way to design something for sure um and this this particular track um i remember hearing it in the arcade but anyone who's been in an arcade it's surrounded by other arcade machines and the rapid fire like it took me about 10 years until i was able to find a clean version of this track (laughs) so like yeah yeah Yeah, for sure yeah other than i think i mentioned other than this one the only other house of the dead that i played was typing of the dead i played that in, in an arcade, which is weird because I think most people probably played it. I didn't even know there was an arcade Yeah, version. I didn't know there was either, but really? uh, we were in... This is in Japan? Uh, this is in Japan. Yeah. So, you know, they have those, like, they have these, like, multi-level arcades. They're, like, eight stories tall, and, they're, like, they're, they're basically sponsored by Sega or Capcom. And so you go up for floors and floors and floors, and in one of them they had uh, two-player, a simultaneous co-op, Typing of the Dead. That's pretty awesome. I think it was based on two, Typing of the Dead. Yeah. Um, but then there were, there was also... Pinball of the Dead. I don't know if it was a real pinball machine or just a simulation. I think it was vert- virtual. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, and there's a also English of the Dead, I think, which I haven't looked into, but it's like is it like a teach learning? you English kind of thing? Yeah. <laughs> of the Dead. With Lots zombies. of House of the Dead spinoffs. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, House of the Dead too. You said uh, before we leave it. You said there was a Dreamcast port. I think House of the Dead 2 came out for Dreamcast. So they had a light gun gun attachment? Um, Actually, I got to admit, I have played very, very few uh, Sega console games. Okay. Um, So I don't actually know. I think Jordan has a Dreamcast. We might have to ask him. Hmm. I only have the Sega CD, and I do have the light gun for the Sega CD. Oh, yeah, the the revolver one. The revolver. The justifier, it actually says (laughs) the the justifier justifier on it. I'm pretty pretty sure there was a light gun, but... uh, I think a lot of the, most of the Sega systems had light guns. Yeah, that sounds right. All right, well, we'll move on from there. Aaron, what do you have for us this week? Well, since it's uh, Sega month, I'm going as classic as classic can be. I'm, you know, back to basics, essentially. My uh, game that I've chosen is uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. The original. The original, the very first Sonic the Hedgehog, or as it was known during development by the code name Defeat Mario. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, lo- great. I love all the stories that I read that were basically talking about like all the Sega execs and all the people behind the scenes that are basically like the only purpose to this game is to be a Mario killer. Yeah. This is born and bred to be a Mario killer. Yeah. That's it. I, I have some stories too, but I'm going to let you go so okay. I don't take yeah, up yeah. any of your points. You, you may. You may take some, but uh, we'll see. I'll just, I'll go through what, what I've got here, but I just, I, I like, I'm not the most hardcore of Sonic fans. I mean, I think it's kind of hard to be a hardcore Sonic fan these days. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. If you tried to live through every iteration yeah. of Sonic, I don't think anyone's made it all the way. Yeah, 
And honestly, like of all the Sonic games, I haven't played too many of them. I, but I did own the original Sonic the Hedgehog, which is where my love for the track that I'm going to be talking about is. Um, now, of course, Sonic the Hedgehog was Genesis game. Yep. Came out in 1991, developed by Sonic Team, who became Sonic Team to develop this game. And of course, published and developed by Sega. And the music was composed by Masato Nakamura. Now, um, Masato Nakamura, I saw, uh, he also produces, writes songs, and performs in a J-pop band called Dreams Come True, and has been doing so since 1988. Like, that's that's awesome. The, I love the J-pop yeah. bands. Oh, yeah. And the fact that he's been in this band for ever, forever. And also, one of the things I found out was that the game Sonic the Hedgehog was actually revealed by a painting on the side of the Dreams Come True tour bus. So it was one oh, of the really? ways that this game was actually awesome. unveiled to the world. And uh, Dreams Come True also provided the music for the movie Sleepless in Seattle, or some music for the music movie Sleepless in Seattle, and for attractions at Tokyo Disneyland. And they even had their own dedicated Dance Dance Revolution game. So they had quite the following. In yeah, Japan. I did. Know, I did hear band. about that that DDR game. Yeah, I was actually surprised to uh, to find out that he had this band that was super super popular and sold yeah. like millions upon millions of albums. <laughs> Also, uh, regarding the music to the Sonic franchise, and this is a, a little bit of a well-known urban legend that people know, and this is not specifically about Sonic 1, but more about Sonic 3, is that apparently Michael Jackson was a big fan of the Sonic, of Sega in general, and also the Sonic series. In fact, it's kind of rumored that his red sneakers and socks of the character Sonic are sort of modeled after Michael Jackson. Yeah, I heard the other the other big rumor is that he helped develop the music for now, Sonic that 3. That was the thing for Sonic 3 is yeah. that that's the big urban legend that's been floating around forever. Now, there's various people um, associated with the development who deny it. Some confirm it. A lot of people working behind the scenes. Like, apparently, Michael Jackson was brought in. He wrote a bunch of music for it. Some people say that music was scrapped and none made it to the final. Some And, like, there's various reasons why people say that his music never might have made it in. And then there's actual people who worked on the game that say, yes, absolutely, a lot of the tracks in there still have his work in there. Yeah, and I've heard that Sega, like, as a company, vehemently denies it. Yes, like, exactly. Says, it, absolutely not. It's mostly Sega who does all the denying, but then that, there's the behind-the-scenes developers who, who are like, sort of, oh, like, yeah, confirm, <laughs> confirm a little bit. I wonder if they just do that because they're like, yeah, I want to say I worked with Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah, or that's the truth, and they don't want to admit it, and... Uh, Will have to owe royalties. Well, uh, maybe, yeah. Well, like if they the took something and yeah, well, right. Because who's going to prove he composed it? Well, there's a lot of similarities apparently between like albums that Michael Jackson was making at the time and like actual like melodies and things like that that appear in Sonic Three sure, and yeah. are also in there. And the various reports I heard about Michael Jackson's music not being in the game. One is when the game came out. That was around the time that allegations started being leveled against him. So Sega was trying to distance him themselves from Michael Jackson. The other rumor is that Michael himself wasn't happy. Like he wrote all these songs and he wasn't happy with its translation onto the music chip. Oh, it wasn't up it to sounded. his standard. Yeah. So he basically said, you can't say I did this. Like you can't use my name. That was after his Moonwalker came out though, wasn't it? I believe so. Moonwalker was a launch title from what I understand because when we, when my family bought a Genesis, Moonwalker and Altered Beast and Sonic were the only games we owned. Okay, so they would have come out at the same time. Yeah. But but we're talking about Sonic 3. So yeah, that would have yeah, been after so it been, Yeah, it would, it would have been Sonic 1 that specifically I'm talking mm. about. So yeah. And also interesting fact about, uh, I found out about Sonic the Hedgehog and Altered Beast is when I bought the Genesis, it was packaged with Altered Beast. Now later on, it was actually, 
they switched out the pack-in game to be Sonic the Hedgehog. And all the people who had previously bought the Genesis and had the Altered Beast version could send away and get a free copy of Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, that's Which awesome. is an awesome thing on Sega's part. Yeah, for sure. My, my Sega Genesis was, was packaged with Sonic 2. Yeah. Just for fun facts. <laughs> yeah, fun facts. So um, first, let's uh, play the song that I actually chose for this game. So like, I have a nostalgic connection to this game, and this is my favorite. I was looking for an excuse to bring up this track at some point on the podcast because this is absolutely my favorite piece from Sonic the Hedgehog. And it's so mellow. It's so, it's so poppy. It doesn't really fit in the game because it doesn't feel like video game music to me. Yeah. It almost feels like... Well, mellow is not how I would describe most of Sonic's yeah. music. And the weird thing about this music is that it almost feels like an ending theme, like a victory theme. A lot of people even consider this because the, the level before this, now the level I'm talking about is Starlight Zone. And there's a level before this that's called Labyrinth Zone. And it's like the underwater one that everybody hates. That's like an underwater maze where Sonic drowns. And it's like causes a lot of tension and anxiety. The most stressful and a lot of thing people <laughs> consider Starlight Zone and the music to be your reward for, for finishing it through that that zone. So without further ado, let's listen to Starlight Zone from Sonic the Hedgehog. very mellow groove. In fact, Smooth McGroove does a pretty solid version of this. Yeah, I've heard yeah, his, yeah. and I like it a lot. Yeah. It's funny, because this song I'd play, and actually, I won't sing them here, but I had actually written some lyrics to the song as a child to <laughs> oh, sing along the lyrics, I man. It happened with a lot of games. I know, and you, it's like, you've always said, yeah. I think anyway. actually in my head, I'm like, 
when I think about this track, I, I for some reason I'm thinking it's from Sonic Two, but it's not. And I'm thinking of the smooth McGrew version in yeah. my head. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> now, uh, so a few more facts that I pulled out here as I was just sort of researching and pulling out Sonic facts that I didn't know that seemed interesting to me. So originally during develop, um, Sonic's name. Now I'm going to ask you as the big Sonic fan, do you know what his in development name was? Oh, no, I was I, I know what Tails's was, but yeah. I don't know what, don't know uh, what Sonic's, Sonic's was? was. Yeah. All right. His name was Mr. Needlemouse. <laughs> was a working yes, I, development I name that, yeah. for Sonic. And Mr. Needlemouse, I love how like Sonic was basically developed by committee. He's developed by committee to be the Mario killer, and he has to be like animals with tood, right? Like, yeah. He has, he's attitude. got all, yeah, attitude. He's basically like this this badass that's got all the little check boxes. Well, that's how a, Sega was positioning themselves, yeah, right? Exactly. They were like, well, Mario's and Nintendo has this whole wholesome video game thing on lockdown, mm-hmm. so we have to do something different, and we're going to be like the... Alt- the alt generation, right? Yeah. The alternative to this wholesome goodness. We're going to be, we're going to have attitude for days. Yeah. So, which is funny because Mr. Needlemouse in his early incarnations was in a rock band, had vampire fangs and had a human girlfriend named Madonna. Yeah. And which is hilarious because if we've even talked about in the podcast, Sonic <laughs> has, even though that was scrapped for the yeah. early version of Sonic, Sonic has had relationship with a human Humans, woman. Yeah. So. Um, so the other thing is when you say developed by committee, um, for anyone who doesn't know or hasn't read the books, um, the big thing of the committee development of Sonic was there was a lot of tension between Sega of Japan and Sega of America because they were really developing this game to take over the SNES sales in North America. And so the American team was really trying to exert their influence on the development of the game and the look of the characters and everything like that. And Sega of Japan did not like that and pushed back a lot. And they had their own ideas and the whole like girlfriend and the fangs and everything that was all from Japan. And (laughs) the American team was like, no, we can't do this. This is brutal. Like this is the Americans will not go for this. Like this is going to be seen as way too crude. Like we need to dial it down. And, um, do you have any more facts there? Well, I mean, just just general ones related to what you're saying, like things like the sort of the development and the graphics and the look of the game changed a lot during development. And yeah. d- like the very first level Green Hill Zone is actually designed, um, inspired by like California landscapes. So, you know, another little nod to sort of American yeah. influence there. Yeah. And so one of the other ones was um, uh, Tails was actually going to be called Miles Per Hour was what they wanted to call him. So his first name would be Miles and his last name was Per Hour. And uh, <laughs> that's terrible. The American team was like, no, this is awful. <laughs> and they were, and the Japanese team was like really, really insistent on it. So on the, in the um, uh, instruction manual for the original Sonic, uh, it's it Tails, his name is like, I think his last name is like Tails. And then like his nickname is, Miles, Miles and then his yeah. last name is per hour or something like they had they were so insistent but they're like no we gotta call him something else we cannot call him Miles I don't know hour. how uh, much people like Tails I have no emotional attachment to him at all because despite loving the first Sonic I've never played Sonic 2 ever, yeah so oh really yeah I love no that's not true I played a demo unit in Toys R Us when I was a kid <laughs> oh, okay when it came out so yeah Sonic I played 2 it once Sonic 2 is my jam but we'll get into that later <laughs> so a few other facts I have uh, and this is one that I'd actually heard before and we talked about the Sega the Sega yeah. like from the beginning is that they put it in the game they actually had another feature all written and developed for the game where Sonic was in a rock band playing with different animals but all of that got cut so they had this like extra room on the cart so what they do is they, is they put in that voice sample of 
them saying Sega, and that actually uses one eighth of the cart's total memory. Yeah, it's a huge. I can. I, I'm glad you remember that. I yeah. knew it was a huge percentage, but I couldn't remember what it does. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is is crazy. The other thing too is that uh, back in those days, um, Sega did not want to credit their development team. Essentially, like it was, it was yeah. really bad. To We've have talked credits. about that a lot. Yeah. So, lead pro- programmer for this game, uh, Yuji Naka, defied Sega's orders to not include credits by having the names of uh, the team actually appear in black on a black background during the game. And they, that way they're only visible in the game's code, but you can't visually see them. But yeah. that was his sort of... Yeah, apparently he was really... Um, he got caught between that whole Japan-America controversy because he actually, in most cases, was siding with the Americans in terms of the of, of the style choices. And uh, um, I know when it came to like Sonic 3, he actually almost left he almost like upped and up and left because he couldn't deal with like the stress of it. So hmm. yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great <laughs> stories of like yeah. Sega's and Sonic's development. Like Sonic is, Sonic, Sonic is an interesting story. And I know like I've read uh, the great book game over, which is basically the history of Nintendo. Yeah. And all the, all the stuff I'm pulling is from console wars. Exactly. And that's yeah. the thing is they both touch on a lot of the same sub- subjects. Obviously game over, it really comes from the Nintendo side of things, but it does cover a lot of what was happening on Sega's side as they attempted to counter the uh, Nintendo juggernaut. Essentially. Yeah. 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 And the last point that I have is that, um, like, I really, I like, like I said, this is my favorite song, but I've been out of the Sonic series for a long time, so I didn't really know much about how it was received, what people really thought of it, and I was really glad to see this as one of the more popular songs from the series. I grabbed this version, which is actually from a um, an album that was released in Japan only in 2011. That's Sonic One and Two, the complete soundtracks from those games. And cool thing about those soundtracks is they also include. Um, the composers, Masato Nakamura's original recordings of the songs that eventually got transposed into the Genesis. So you can hear their sort of like unfiltered versions with the original instrumentation as he composed them. That's awesome. And this song has had several remixes and versions and has appeared in other Sonic games. And I think one of the most recent versions is that this song was actually in uh, Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games (laughs) for the DS specifically. There you go. Uh, actually, one other thing I'll mention about um, Sega soundtracks uh, in general is, um, in case you don't know, and in case you have Spotify, uh, Sega, I think it was like last year or the year before, uh, actually released a ton of their soundtracks on Spotify. So if you are just a fan of video game music or or Sonic or Sega music in general, um, a lot of classics are on there for free for streaming, it, as long as you have an account, I guess. Or no, there's free Spotify. So yeah, no matter what, you can <laughs> listen to it. So yeah, check that out. So that's all you got for us? For that's what I got for Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog. All right, perfect. So let's go into what have you been playing, Aaron? What have I been playing? Actually, I We've mean... We've been away for a while. I know, it's been <laughs> a lot. And I have yeah. actually played a lot, I think, in the last... Since we last talked. Well, you, didn't I went, to, you didn't have to podcast, so you no, had I didn't have time for gaming. <laughs> but, and I, did say, I jumped around and sampled a whole bunch of stuff. So, I mean, there's a few games which sort of stand out as ones that I've, I've played. Um, most notably is that Norm and I and my brother are all playing Dark Souls 3 right now. We got it cheap, so... We're, we're doing some co-op running through the Dark Souls universe. But I'm not specifically going to talk about Dark Souls. I actually am going to play about uh, a really, really popular game on the Switch that I played recently uh, called Celeste. Now, I don't know how much you guys have heard about Celeste. Me and you talked about it a bit. Yeah, we did talk about it a little bit. I haven't played it, but yeah. I've, I've, heard, I've heard a lot about it. And it's uh, a little sort of indie platformer. It's... Uh, Got an 8-bit retro kind of style. Uh, from what I hear, the developer, I think uh, his name's, it's like Matt Makes Games. Yeah. He uh, had entered into like some sort of game jam. 
Yes. And oh, had developed this little prototype for a game for some game jam. And it was this little like almost like not even 8-bit. It was like ColecoVision style version of this platforming challenge where you like jump through these screens and collect strawberries and kind of thing. And that was the sort of early prototype that eventually became Celeste. Celeste is more like um, updated, almost more like a 16-bit graphics kind of thing. And that original prototype version even appears in Celeste. At one point, you find like a room with a little old computer and you boot it up and you can play that little version within the game. And I'm like sitting there playing that version inside the game. And this now, now this game is like a platform in the vein of uh, like Super Meat Boy, like super punishing, hard platformer. Yeah, lots of but retries. As I was talking about. Yeah, and it's really nice because it's like when you fail at a level, it's instant restart and you're going right away. There's no delay. It's the, It kind of has to be that way. And one thing I think I was talking about with you, Mike, is... Uh, and after doing some reading after I finished the game, is that this game is punishing. It's very difficult, but it doesn't beat you up over it. Like Super Meat Boy is kind of... doesn't mock you. It's mocking you. Super Meat Boy is basically like, you are not good enough to handle this game. Like, it's basically like daring you... To beat it. To, yeah. to beat it. And it kind of is, you know, laughing in your face while it does it. Now, Celeste is a much friendlier game, and it almost feels like it is encouraging you. It's like, you almost got it that time. You can you can do it like one more try like I really believe in you and it's the game that kind of believes in you and on that note it's really interesting because this is a platformer that has a really cool story too like the Celeste is actually the name of the mountain in the game and uh, you play as this girl and you she comes to this mountain Celeste to climb it to sort of like overcome her fears to prove something to herself and it becomes this whole story about like mental health and anxiety and it's got this like colorful cast of side characters and it's it's really good i was really blown away but not expecting this little platformer game especially this really challenging platformer game to have a solid story that stuck with me mm -hmm. yeah no i've heard um like i said i haven't played it yet but i've heard nothing but excellent things about the game um it's from the same people who did Towerfall as well. Yes, Just in case you've right. played Towerfall yeah. and you liked it. Um, this is also from the guys that did that. Um, yeah, and then I heard something about like the difficulty settings. Like When you go into the difficulty settings, there's a little message that says... Yeah, well, what, what happens is, is that... like Also, they make this game super accessible because despite like the normal difficulty, difficulty setting is, is very hard... And but you can go into the menu, you can like turn on like assist mode, like not die, an extra air jump kind of thing, extra like air dash to, to help you along. And when you go in there, it basically says, while you can turn on these things, we encourage you not to. Please play it, you know, as it was sort of intended to be played, and yeah. then come back to it. Like, do this as a last resort, and we really think you'll enjoy it more if you don't turn on these assist things. And I think that's the right call. It's really cool. It's awesome that they're there, knowing that you can have the help yeah, if exactly. you need it. But it's one of those games that, you know, you just, you you want to beat it cleanly. You want to do it fairly. And when you do, it just feels so good. Yeah, I heard that somewhere in the message, or maybe this was something that one of the devs said to uh, an interviewer, but it was like, um, the struggle is part of the game. Mm -hmm. struggle is struggle is kind of the theme of the game so yeah, exactly. if you make it too easy you're kind of losing that piece of the story almost exactly so uh so i but they were you know smart enough or or forward thinking enough to go with like that's still not going to be for everybody yeah and 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 put that assist mode in yeah. there so i think that's just genius which design. is awesome because like i said like you the character you play and i think you can name this character but the default name for the character i think is madeline and so you play as madeline and it's her overcoming 
like I said, her anxiety and her struggles. And that's exactly it is you are, you are there with her trying to encourage her through these hard times for her. And then it's got, um, this interesting character who's like this sort of like hipster from Seattle who comes up yeah, to I've heard all this that. takes place in BC, by the way, this, this fictitious mountain Celeste, British Columbia yep. for non-Canadian. <laughs> and so they're climbing this mountain. You've got this like goofy Theo character who comes from Seattle and he's, uh, got his Instapix account, Theo under stars. And I remember right after in the game, I talked to this guy yeah. And uh, he's like, follow me on Instapix. The username is Theo Understars. So I went to Instagram, of course, looked up Theo Understars, and he has an Instagram account. And not only that, like the Instagram account is for him is awesome because you look back in the history and it's sort of like a backstory of this character, where he come from, like where he'd come from, what led him to the mountain, why he's there. And then as time went on, because I started this when the game was still fairly new out. As time went on, it actually led up to him climbing the mountain and even included pictures that he had taken in the game, like in my, in my story in the game, eventually appeared on the Instagram account, which was, yeah, which was really cool. I was so impressed. I love that fourth wall stuff, right? Yeah, it's so I was good. really impressed with the way they integrated all that. Yeah, so that's awesome. Um, and you know what? Even though it's a little pricier, I am going to include Celeste in the giveaway just because it's such an exceptional game. Um, yeah, so if you uh, want to win that game... And it's uh, on a lot of platforms. It's yeah, not it's just on, on the just Switch, about everything. So yeah. uh, you can pick it up on Switch. It's on Steam. Uh, let's see what else we got here. PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Microsoft Windows, Linux, Mac. It's basically well, I got to say, everything. Switch was the way to go because this was a game that, you know, I'd play connected when I was docked and play on my TV a lot, but I took this one on the go as well. Like, this yeah. is a great, like, pick up and play a couple of minutes maybe per level kind of thing. The only thing I heard about that in regards to that is that this is a game that does require a bit of precision and the D-pad or the or, or the analog stick on the Switch itself is a little small. So as long as you have a Pro Controller, you're good to go. And yeah, I played I played both Pro Controller and I also played the Joy-Cons and yeah. I was able to easily get used to both. Yeah. So, so there you go. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, uh, Celeste is in our game giveaway this month. Um, if you didn't, uh, if you're not a long time listener and didn't notice, I didn't uh, mention who won the contest last month because we've been away for a month. And uh, <laughs> so if this is your first time joining, welcome. Uh, but we're kind of restarting here. So we're going to start restart big with Celeste. And uh, to win that contest, uh, same as always, all you got to do is interact, uh, interact with us in any way, shape or form on your social media platform of choice. Uh, we are VGM generations everywhere. So Twitter, Facebook, um, feel free to reach out and send us an email at the email address vgmgenerations at gmail.com. And for a bonus 5,000 entries into the contest, uh, that is 5,000 entries, not 5,000 games, uh, <laughs> uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Um, analytics are a thing that exists and they're important. And uh, reviews on iTunes are good for analytics and uh, helps proliferate the podcast, which is something we're always trying to do. So yeah. Uh, that is it for part one of Sega Month. Hope you enjoyed it, and we will catch you guys next time.
the house of the dead. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that was a good one. All right, cool.